Hi, everyone. It's Steven Schleicher at Majorspoilers.com. Before we get into this week's Zach on Film, I just want to tell you that I'm really appreciative of everything that everyone does to support the Major Spoilers cause. And I want to give a shout out to our sponsor this week, HelloFresh. HelloFresh. It's cooking made easy. Now, listen, I know how it is. You come home after a long day and you don't want to cook. Well, HelloFresh makes it easy. They get all the ingredients, everything that you need to make a fine, delicious meal. They pack it up and they ship it directly to you. And all you have to do is just follow the directions. 35 minutes or less, you have a great meal. Now, listen, this is a great thing. If you're if you're single, this is great for a family of four. But if you're single, maybe you want to do movie night. Maybe you want to watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And you want to invite your friends over and you want to cook them a nice meal. HelloFresh.com has got you covered. You can feed a, a family of four or four of your friends. All come over, have some great uh, meals, maybe some shrimp or chicken or steak. They've got it all. Or maybe you're vegetarian. They've got that too. HelloFresh.com. Listen, when you head over to Majorspoilers.com and you click on that link for HelloFresh, or if you go over to HelloFresh.com and you use the checkout code MAJOR50, you're going to get 50% off for our new customers. It's quite a deal. It's HelloFresh.com. You sit down, you enjoy the meal, then you go to your home theater, your big screen TV, whatever it is that you do to watch your entertainment, and you kick back. And you watch the film that we talk about this week on Zack on Film. Hey, I'm Zack, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zack on Film. You're down on your luck. And you're on a trip to strike gold after a kooky old man filled your mind of fancy. Well, let us make you reconsider your idea as we talk The Treasure of the Sierra Madre on Zach on Film. Oh man, America must suck. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> because here we have Americans flooding into Mexico because mm-hmm. that is where the money is. That's yeah. where the jobs mm-hmm. are in, uh, in 1927. Well, this isn't this movie isn't about gold. It's about all these people coming out of the Great Depression who can't find work. They can't find work as migrant workers picking oranges or doing any of the uh, the uh, labor in California. Mm -hmm. And so they all migrate down into Mexico in hopes of doing the work. And that's kind of where we pick up with our um, our um, can't really say protagonist. Well, we, they're protagonist. I, yeah, I mean, that's sure. exactly what yeah, you can exactly. say. Yeah, yeah. You can't call them our heroes, yeah, but you can call, call them, them our protagonists. That's where we pick up with Fred uh, Dobbs and uh, Bob Curtin, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Humphrey Bogart, and Tim Dobbs Holt. Dobbs and Bobs. <laughs> they are destitute on the streets of um, Tampico. 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 And um, every time they turn around trying to get work, they're either being uh, scammed to doing, you know, like weeks of free labor. Yes. Uh, or they're asking for handouts for a meal and a haircut. Did you um, stake a fellow American to a meal? Yeah, do you know who that was? Who uh, uh, The guy he, that was uh, giving him a coin the whole time? Yeah. No, I didn't recognize him. Oh, interesting. We talk about uh, directors inserting themselves into movies. That's John oh, Houston. John Houston. <laughs> That's John Houston. Where do you remember John Houston from in another movie uh, that we've seen in the Zach on Films? Humphrey Bogart did The Maltese Falcon. Uh, yes, as a director, but where else, where else have you seen John Houston at? Oh... Oh, is, uh, wait, is he the Houston that has a problem in Apollo t- 13? 
John no, that's Houston, his daughter and um would have been before this around Maltese Falcon. Well, but in 1974, as an actor, you would have seen him as the father in Chinatown. Mr. Gitz. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. So yeah, he's palming, you know, begging money off the off sure. the streets, and uh, then they come across uh, what's his name, Howard, this old timer mm-hmm. who's talking about gold. Interestingly, <laughs> probably something that few people get to do. Few people probably get to direct their own father right. in a movie. So Walter right. Houston plays Howard, directed by his son John Houston, who also is in this movie. Uh, and he fills their mind with these tales of of gold that he's been all over the world hunting for gold, and he knows that there's gold around here. His nose knows. Nose. All he needs is some money. And it really, if they would have actually listened to what he was saying in that place, That's, they would have been like, "This is the worst idea we could ever have is to go with this man and try <laughs> to find gold." Like this man found gold, and now he's with us. Why would we want to go do that? Yeah, because he comes out and says, he says a lot of things. It's yeah. heavy foreshadowing in this book. First oh, of all, like, I've made fortunes and lost fortunes, yeah. right? Uh, gold turns people evil mm-hmm. and makes best friends turn against one yes. another, and people die or over gold. Being like, oh, I would totally leave once I got enough. I would decide how yes. much I was going to have. I got it, and I'd be out of there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you knew that wasn't going to happen. It's interesting though, right? Because you want to yes. like Humphrey Bogart, right? As a as a mm-hmm. as sure. a good character. I mean, we've seen him as somewhat morally ambiguous in Casablanca. Yeah, uh, we've seen him play, you know, kind of the straight up in Maltese Falcon, um, and then we see him here, and he's a freaking bastard with a yes. capital B, right? Because yeah. he's like, nah, you know, that had never happened to me. I would never. I'd say, yeah, give me what do you say originally? Fifty or five thousand yeah. dollars is enough for me. 25. And then whenever he starts finding, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, no. 75, $100,000. Let's, let's, let's play this mine sure, out. Sure, sure. You're it. old. You can, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. survive yeah. off $25,000. i am young. I have a lot. Of, I got to spend a yeah, lot of money. It was like 25000 yeah. in that, at that time. God, that would have been like. That's a lot of, that's like $11 million today. <laughs> probably, especially in gold. And they probably yeah. wouldn't have had to sell it all. You could have bought like. 2,000 VHS copies in 89. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. Well, VHSs were like $185. And in, in 1947, they were like $10,000. <laughs> yeah, you had to actually buy the 35 millimeter print. Listeners, this is a reference to our last uh, Major Spoilers <laughs> podcast where we talked about Batman yes. 1989. Yes. It's a good listen if you haven't listened to it. Now, we were looking. It doesn't look like Batman was on the National Registry, is it? Did you look it up and see? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. Um, but maybe it's a movie that should be on the National Registry. Yeah, you can, yeah go listen to, you can go listen to the uh, Major Spoilers podcast episode 579, Batman at 25. Um, but today we're talking about Treasure of the Sierra Madre, 1947. What? Or 1948. 1948. Um, yeah, 48. So what is... Uh, what do we get out of this story or what are we supposed to get out of this story? Um, oh, so you're like, not like, what's the plot? You're like, what's yeah, the thesis the, of the people, story? People go in, people go into the uh, mountains uh, of Mexico looking for gold. They strike it. They strike gold, right. not nuggets, but gold dust and greed gets right. the better of them. And uh, in the end, the gold is gone. Right. Um. So certainly like one of the prevalent ideas uh, of Treasure of Sierra Madre is greed is bad. Is right? it? Yeah, I think well, it is. I mean, it I is, know. right? I'm pretty sure they kind of just kind of put that out there of 
they had enough. They could have walked away. They mm-hmm. would have been fine. You know, they probably wouldn't have been all dead at the end. Well, one of Humphrey Bogart's character dead. Yeah. They probably would have all gone off and lived relatively happy lives. All of them would have gone on and lived relatively happy lives right. with the money they they had <laughs> obtained. Um, but then greed gets the better of all of them, starts tearing them apart. Mm-hmm. And um, they get in some bad situations. They're willing to gang up and kill some dude they barely met who's kind of nice. They're like, oh, uh, yeah. He kind of tries to weasel like, his way in. Yeah, he, he basically tries to extort them into mm-hmm. giving him money. Sure, that's true. Yeah, he he comes into camp and says, look, uh, I'm pretty sure there's gold around here. I know you guys have been digging for it. And look, there's three options. I can go back into town, tell the federales what you're doing, in which case you're going to lose all your, all mm-hmm. your gold. Yeah. Number two, you can bring me into your situation, and I'll only take 25% of the gold starting from now, not 25% from Seems what fair. you've already dug up. Seems fair. Or you can all kill me. You're right. And, and so they're so, all going to kill him. Yeah. And then they don't have to because the, the banditos, banditos show up. Kill, kill yeah, yeah. And we get that wonderful moment. Batman so is greed is, greed is bad, but is it... But is it more that money is the root of all evil? Because everything that they do that's wrong revolves around money. And everything that everybody does in this movie revolves around money. I mean, here you see the rich American on the street giving mm-hmm. a handout. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see the little children begging for um, lottery Lot tickets. tickets. You see um, you see the banditos who are really more after weapons. Um, weapons. But, you know, if they happen to find some sure, money, they sure. would certainly take that as well. And then, of course, you've got our three main characters who are just obsessed with money, 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 money. I think, I think the, the real thesis of the movie is that um, seeking wealth is pointless. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and at the end, that's, that's kind of where we end up, right? Mm-hmm. It's like one of them's dead and mm-hmm. the two of them are poor. Yeah. Um, right. Like it it, there, was no, there was no point. Mm-hmm. Everything that they did was for nothing yeah. by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I think yeah. that's what the movie's saying. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because had Bogart's character lived and mm-hmm. had they all lived and all gotten their share equally, who would have gone – who would have been in the poorhouse first? Oh, definitely Bogart. He would have spent it before he got out of Mexico. Oh, yeah. Right? I'll bet well, you $105,000 yeah. you go to sleep before me. Yeah. Yeah, he's – he's he's crazy. Oh. I mean he, he goes, goes off the deep dark insane. end. He starts a little off though. I mean, even in in those early, you know, the first moments of the film where you see him kind of stake out a fellow American, he's just got this edge of, of, I don't know, Bogart in this movie is really weird for me because usually he's he's yeah. kind of, you know, square-jawed heroic. And here he's kind of got a squirrely Jack Nicholson sort of Bruce Dern vibe about it. <laughs> and that's that's probably the first thing, like, because we started, you know, we were watching this movie for, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Um, and I was like, oh, another Humphrey Bogart movie in which he's going to play basically the same guy. And I was very happy yeah. to see him not yeah, yeah, yeah. play Sam Spade. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, when he starts, when you start seeing him kind of like already yeah. start like giving him like buggy eyes to, to, to the things that like the old codger is saying, mm-hmm. um, I'm like, oh, this is a different character. And he's he really comes off more as a New York loudmouth than mm-hmm. the San Francisco Sam Spade, which is a little bit more calm and reserved. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. And it is an interesting it is super interesting and, and to it, see like, him play. Well, that. and the other thing is that he's like he's boastful. He's very talkative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when they have that uh, attack on the train, 
they go, you know, everybody grabs their guns and just shoots out the side <laughs> of the train. Aiming and then, at nothing. And, and yeah, and then afterwards, he's like, ah, you almost killed that guy, but then the train jumped. Ah, I could have gone, could, could totally gotten that guy. It would have been great. It would have been so great if I'd gotten him, but man, that train jumped. Yeah. It's like, yeah, and like, everybody else is like, dude, we just got hit by <laughs> robbers. Like, yeah, calm yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, and I think that Curtin, Bob Curtin, would have gone off and uh, done the orchard thing regardless. I think you're right. You know, can I tell you something about uh, Bob Curtin? Sure. He's played by Tim Holt. Right. I've never seen this movie before. Really? None of you had seen this movie before? No. Uh, and until okay. until we started this discussion, I frankly did not know that Tim Holt was a real human being. Because the only time I've ever seen Tim Holt is in cowboy comics from the 1940s. <laughs> I did not realize that Tim Holt was a person and not like a fictional character like the Rawhide Kid. Mm-hmm. So that that's my story about <laughs> the Treasure of Sierra not a, not a fictional character like Gene Autry? <laughs> exactly, or Audie Murphy. You know, it, it, it's really weird to me to go through this and put that, just have something like that put together, because just this weekend I was going through our expensive comics, and I'm like, Tim Holt, number 46, I'm never going to sell that thing. Interesting. Well, maybe it's people weird. will buy it now that they know... Yeah, come uh, buy it, because he was in the Treasure of Sierra Sierra Madre. Madre. Howard, I think, was just happy just having a little bit to get by, I think. Or just happy for something to do. I think he was 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 happy happy to be out there. He was happy for the adventure. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. He liked being being out. And I think that, you know, when we get to the end, and you get that terrible, terrible scene where he starts laughing, had Dobbs been alive, I think Dobbs would have killed him right there. Probably. Because yeah, yeah. that that scene really tells you what you need to know about him. It was never really about greed no. with him. It no, was it was about all about the adventure. Yeah. It was about the journey. Yeah. Do you think he actually expected to walk away with money? No, because he he seemed he just knew I that they were all going to snap. There's eventually. there's the point. There's the point early in the movie. Um, and again, it's a lot of foreshadowing stuff, kind of heavy handed. Um, well, maybe not it's back not then. It was heavy no, handed, no, but today sure. it's very heavy it's handed. Very subvert. But you know, it's like, hey, I've got the money. We're going to pitch in together and let's go in, pals. And they do the handshake, and then you you do the cut in to uh, to Howard, just kind of looking at him yeah. back and forth. And you can just tell right then he's like, yeah, this is going to end as a disaster. Yep. But I'm going to do it because I'm I'm in it because I want to go have fun. Yeah. Well, and and there's also I don't, I don't know maybe maybe I was reading into it, but there's also kind of an expectation that he's not going to make it back. And, yeah, he's and he's I think old. he's okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's an interesting yeah. way to approach he want, it. He wants to go out on his own terms, yeah. and if you get, you know, if you really look at uh, Roger Ebert, apparently said that part of this film is about the implacable uh, nature and its effect on people, and you can definitely see that too when you get to the ending. But I think you can really see that in the character of Howard because he kind of—it's not necessarily fatalism. But he kind of has this expectation of, well, here's what I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. Right. About him, it's not necessarily – he's not making plans. He's not, I'm going to be rich and here's what I'm going to do when I'm rich and I'm going to kill anybody who doesn't make me – You know, it's it's something where he's kind of an older man. Maybe it's perspective. Maybe it's you know the expectation of his own mortality. But he's just kind of out there doing his thing and kind of happy to do his thing. And he really is kind of the one who gets the happy ending. Well, yeah, I mean, he, for him, he mm-hmm. gets to go back to the village and he gets to be their medicine man and be their doctor and just kind of live out the rest of his life. And he's he's OK days. with that. And, um, you know, uh, Curtin gets to go and hopefully make amends with the with the widow mm-hmm. of the man that um, 
got killed, not by him, but the who helped. Jones. Yeah. Um, were you surprised that Humphrey Bogart's character died? No, no. By the time he I mean, dies. because he's such a big name yeah. that uh, he dies before the movie's even over. I mean, there's a good 20 minutes after no, he dies. No. By the time he dies, like, there's, there's two things. By the time he dies, it's clear that this character's not going to make it. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, you had, like, he has to die. There's mm-hmm. no way that this character's going to come out the other end of this movie. Yeah. Um, From the. And then the other thing is that this movie does a lot of weird things that you wouldn't expect. Like? Like spending 15 minutes with characters just speaking in Spanish in an American movie. <laughs> so this was one of the first, you know, one of the very first studio films to actually go out into a location. And in this case, to Mexico mm-hmm. to shoot. Now, there's a lot of stuff that was still done um, on, on set, set and, and Burbank. in Burbank. But, yeah, we get to this point where, first of all. It's been such a long time since I've seen this movie that I actually remembered the ending differently. Mm. I thought oh. Henry Bogart's character did live, mm. but he was tied up by the by the uh, the robbers, and that the other two and the and the people came riding out and saved him. But by the time they got out there, it had all blown away, and they were all just went crazy at at the end. Um, but yeah, so seeing him die was still. I was like, oh my god, I don't remember that happening. And then for fifteen twenty minutes, it's all in Spanish. Yep non-subtitled Spanish. It was yep. intentionally done that way. Yep. And it makes this movie feel more genuine mm-hmm. as yep. opposed to really bad. Well, we do get really bad uh, um, English spoken by, uh, <laughs> I think he's credited as golden hat or whatever in yeah. the, in the, uh, in the credits, gold hat, gold hat um, by him. But there's no attempt to force that in down the audience's throat. It's just like, right. here mm-hmm. are, Native language speakers speaking their native language. Mm-hmm. And if you guys can't understand it, tough. It well, should be simple enough for you to figure out what's going on, yeah. right. but tough. And I admire John Houston for taking that approach, just saying, oh, you know, I'm well, going to do, I'm going to go do and, it this way and, and screw and it, you guys. And, and, and I, I wonder if they weren't, if they didn't write the movie and then when they were getting ready to shoot it, they were like, uh, guys, there are no English speakers in this scene. Mm-hmm. Are we just going to do it in Spanish? And they were like, probably scratched their beards and said, yeah, I guess we can't introduce another character now for yeah, them yeah. to translate it into English. So yeah, but they I guess done, yeah. they could have done uh, subtitles at that time. Yeah. Subtitles could have been very yeah. easy for them to do, but they opted not to do it. And I think from a, I think that's from brave. a standpoint, yeah, it's a very brave uh, way to go in this movie. But my understanding is John Houston kind of has a love or has a love or had a love for that region mm-hmm. and the peoples. And that would be really in line with, with that uh that view both Um, of those moments are are kind of subverting the modern storytelling model you don't kill your big name i mean if you look at you know gi joe recalibration a couple years ago channing tatum got famous at about the same time they were making the movie channing tatum's character had died they supposedly and this is you know partly word of mouth they went back to reshoot that because channing tatum was now the big star and they rewrote parts of the movie because you can't kill your big star. Yeah. You know, but here it works really well. And I think that's the major part of the reason. Was, I wonder if that was a draw for Humphrey Bogart. I mean, in African African mm-hmm. Queen, he's kind of a not so good person, but he's still the the hero mm-hmm. and gets to make out with uh what's her face. And uh <laughs> I wonder if, if there yeah, wasn't Catherine, Catherine Hepburn. Hepburn, yeah. You know, well, what's, what's her, her face? face? Yeah, um, Lauren, Lauren Hepburn call. Probably, probably tastes like a salty peanut when you kiss her. 
Um, but I would imagine that he was interested in this because he does play a vile character Mm -hmm. and he does die. Yeah. And just to say, Hey, let's take a chance on this. I'm going to take a chance on this, on this role. Well, it's kind of like Brad Pitt in uh, Snatch, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. it's kind of. I mean, in in Snatch, he's definitely not the main character, right? But he's right. still most prominent in the poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, it's it's interesting because this is the first time that you have all seen this movie. Zach, did yes. you like the Treasure of the Sierra Madre? Oh yeah, I really enjoyed it. What did you like about it? Um, well, I liked that it seemed like a modern movie. It didn't seem, well, I don't know. I think that was probably my opinion before we started all this thing that modern movies have some weird kind of plot going on. Um, I don't know. I really just liked it. I th- I liked that Humphrey Bogart died. I think that's a risk that uh, any filmmaker is going to take in any time to make a movie if they're going to kill one of the biggest stars that's making films at that time and just kill him off with like 30 minutes left of your film. I think that's, and I really love the inclusion of Spanish in this film and how they used that, and they didn't subtitle it. Uh, mm-hmm. We've already talked about. It. I thought that was great, and I don't, I don't know. I just thought, um, it was good. I think they're they're to nineteen forty eight audiences. There were probably super big twists <laughs> in the, in the film, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like the way everything panned out, and like he mentally breaks down, is willing to kill his friend, willing to kill everyone to kind of keep this money. We know now that it was like super obvious, like, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they start talking about gold and how are things, he's just talking about like, oh, so this is the yeah, uh. yeah. So we all know that's gonna break down. Um, See, I it, was I was still surprised because I couldn't understand a thing he, <laughs> that guy was oh, saying. Oh man, I love the guy. Guy. the uh, old man. Yeah, the old man. Old oh, man Howard. Houston. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you like this movie, Rodrigo? I, I I liked it a lot more than I expected to. How come? Um. Well, for one, I think it moves pretty fast. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, I was considering re- it's about panning for gold. Yeah, in the desert. Well, I mean, they're, for a, they're they're a lot longer than you realize in the film. They yeah, talk about it. they've been there for like months. Yeah, yeah. almost a year. Like almost a year. Yeah. yeah. So when did um what was the last movie we did? Searchers. Searchers. Yeah. When would the when did the Searchers come out? I want to say fifty seven, fifty six. Right. So there's about this, eight years later. There's this expectation that older movies are slower mm-hmm. and newer movies are faster. Mm-hmm. That's not actually the case. Right. No. I would say the Treasure of the Sierra Madre moves ten times faster than the Searchers, mm-hmm. and it's just like vignette, 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 end. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, See, it's not like. Look at all the mountains. Right, right, exactly. Even though it was shot on location, you yeah. get to see a lot of Tampico, mm-hmm. just kind of, uh, but it's all part of what's happening. Right. You know, they're right. in the city, then they're outside in the desert. You get to see the, the you get to see a Gila monster. That's cool. Yeah. My favorite mm-hmm. character in the movie. <laughs> um, I'm stealing your gold, everybody. Uh, I'll <laughs> be on. back later in the picture. Give me a little bite. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, There's a lot of... uh talk about the movie being racist i think it is but only because the most prominent mexican speaking role is gold hat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, again an unnamed bandito character right right um even though it's set in mexico uh but i would also argue that the movie is set in Mexico, and because of that, even if it was accidentally, we get to see a lot of yes. Mexican people, and, that's, that's and a lot of I Mexican people it. at different social, st- mm-hmm. st- like, 
if you watch a movie like The Three Amigos, right. which is super mega racist, right. um, <laughs> like everybody's the entirety, yeah, yeah, the entirety of Mexico seems to be composed of adobe huts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this movie, you're in Tampico, which is a major city, uh-huh. um, and things are better in Mexico than they are in the United States. You right. see Mexican people wearing suits, yep. mm-hmm. and yep. you know Mexican ladies wearing nice dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, you also see poor Mexicans. You mm-hmm. see um, when they go out to the frontier, you see kind of um, uh, border farmers, farmers and border yeah, towns yeah. and, and, and yep. things like that. Um, you see Mexican Indians, which again, probably not portrayed in the best way possible, but also not yeah, portrayed in a in a um, deliberate derogatory way, like for example, the American Indians right. in yeah. the Searchers. Searchers. Right. So it's this movie strikes me as um, having no bad intentions, right, and. Like a lot of movies that don't have bad intentions and still turn out to be racist. Like, for mm-hmm. example, The Three Amigos. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, through that philosophy, actually does portray some positive aspects about Mexico that you never see again right, in right, any movie. Right, right, right. Do, you th- exactly. do you think a lot of that comes from the genre of the film? Like, The Searchers was a Western film that had an idea of what this certain ethnic group is like, and we were just going to pound it. I mean, they're they're, and I don't think this movie was like Mexicans are bad, right? Right, and that's that's like the Searchers were like Native Americans. Well, I wonder, (laughs) do you think? Let me ask you this about Goldhan. Because he does come off, and it, it's one of the most famous lines that gets messed up. Right, you know, where right. the, the line that everybody remembers: "Badges? We don't need no stinking badges, right?" right? But the but, the line is actually like three lines yes. longer. Yeah, than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I wonder I don't because have of the to way show you any badges. he is the leader of the of the gang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's pretty smart. I'm wondering if he's not doing all of that as a as a put on for these dumb Americans. He's fronting, yeah. The, uh, big, the big tough voice. I don't know. He could be. That's that's what you know. I, yeah, I agree. I, that part, his portrayal, I felt was. I was like, well, I'm somewhat off put by that. But then I started thinking, well, what if he's really doing this as a, oh, you know, the hat off and the right. hands. Oh, I'm sorry, Mister American Man. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Come on, let's all be friends. Right. When he does do some very evil things right. throughout the movie, uh, I don't know. I think he like if you if you think about the stuff that they end up doing mm-hmm. is they. Basically, 20 of them try to kill four Americans. Right. (laughs) Uh, All all but three of them get killed. Right. Uh, Only one American dies. Right. Um, Then they get a bunch of gold, which they just think is sand. They don't recognize it, so they throw it away. But that was also set up earlier in the movie. And then they get get shot. Right. Well, Um, they actually kill two of the four because they kill uh, the, the newcomer to the camp. Oh yeah, and, and, the, and the then battle. later and then on, later they, they kill, kill Humphrey they, Bogart. They kill Bogey, yeah. um, but then again, early in the film, you know those guys are walking around fools gold pyrite, and Howard mm-hmm. says, "No, here's what gold looks like. You don't recognize right. it because it hasn't been processed yet. Sure, That's not sure. our role. You don't. It looks right, like, like dirt. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's any real redeeming quality to the banditos. Again, no. if you want to, if you want to find a redeeming quality 
for this movie's portrayal of Mexico, you just have to make sure that you look at every Mexican character yeah, yeah, that you yeah, see. Yeah. You know, the, mm. the, yeah. the, the real honest guy at the depot who is mm-hmm. like, those are not your donkeys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. He's Mexican, yeah. but he's not the guy that gets quoted in the movie. Right. The, the federales that are just like this completely draconian, faceless group mm-hmm. that just finds bandits, shoots them dead, right. moves on. Right. Also Mexicans. Right. You know, it's like but, uh, there's lots of different portrayals of them. Again, because the majority of the cast is Mexican, we get some kind of, you know, in a way, accidental you get a, uh, a spectrum. Yeah, yeah, spectrum, and that's nice, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, Spanish spot on. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, all, all Mexican Spanish. Everybody, like every person who speaks Spanish, speaks it well. And in fact, the, um, the Indians, like mm-hmm. the, the, um the the guys that uh kind of adopt the the old the old man um have a manner of speaking that is typical of that kind of northern indian mm. uh when they speak spanish wow. so that's at least authentic in the sense that the if it's not actual people that speak like that that they hired the actors they hired yeah. knew well enough to put on that yeah. accent and right? because they shot on a location they were probably hiring locals yeah who i mean probably they had yeah, some little acting experience yeah it's too bad that 1948 audiences and probably today's audiences will never know that well and that's this show and and that's which and, i find interesting because again as we said the last 20 30 minutes of the movie all in spanish and it's like i had no problem with it right and it's like uh you know the what would have made this movie better is like what would have made this movie a hundred percent better is if the old codger was Mexican. Yeah, yeah that, would have been, that would have been interesting, except that he had he'd already been a world traveler. And sure. I'm not saying that sure, Mexicans sure. aren't world travelers. I'm just saying in the context of this movie, it makes sense that he's still kind of this white guy that has been traveled the sure, world. Sure, and, sure. I mean, in the context of like it all makes sense because and it makes sense that a bunch of Americans would clump together. Well, yeah, yeah, sure. Um as like Americans just want to deal with Americans. You, and oh, that's another good point, is like not all Americans are good. Right. Not even mm-hmm. just Humphrey Bogart's character, right. but very early on, they get taken advantage of mm-hmm. by an yes. American, yeah. and they fall into his trap yeah. because they're because like, they're oh, like, good, oh, an American. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Do you think if Old Prospector Man would have been Mexican and said, do you think in the movie those two characters would have latched onto him and said, take us to gold? Probably, probably not. Probably not yeah. um, unless uh, they had established that greed a lot more strongly. Like, if he, mm. if he was like... Yes, I know that there's gold, but also that would have fought against like the that prevailing attitude that like um that the locals didn't know what they were sitting on, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Which yeah, is this sure. this like amazing like colonial idea that spans back for like thousands <laughs> of years. Yeah. Is like a, a, an invading force shows up somewhere like these savages don't know what they're dealing with. Right, right. And that's <laughs> that was true with the British, that was true with the Spanish, it was true with the with the Visigoths. <laughs> it was true with like the Angles and the Saxons before they mm-hmm. became the Anglo Saxons and then invaded this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting though. What I did like though is that the old guy has been around long enough to where he understands Spanish or mm-hmm, understands mm-hmm. it enough and speaks mm-hmm. it enough. Yeah, well yeah. Enough. And he speaks it he, he speaks it with a huge American accent, right. but he speaks it well. Right. But what I like is when Curtin has to go into town, he's having trouble pronouncing right. the words in Spanish. So it's not like, 
oh, I need some frijoles. I need 14 kilos of frijoles. And then, you know, it's going off and rattling it off in perfect Spanish. I like that he struggles to say. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, the, and you can and you can imagine the old the, the old guy writing it phonetically for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, even. yeah, 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 yeah. And but, so I, I mean, I and, and almost like it's 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 like he, you know, he had been in Tampico around mm-hmm. or around Tampico for a while, too. So he might have known the numbers, but maybe he didn't. Like, I can imagine the guy writing out. Yes, yeah. he says <laughs> instead yeah, yeah. of putting a sixteen because you know, he'd be like, "Crap, how do you yeah, study yeah, say sixteen? Yeah, yeah. You know what's even more impressive about that? What Howard speaks Spanish. Walter Houston does not. Nice, yeah. So he learned his lines phonetically, memorized them phonetically. Uh, basically, they hired someone who spoke Spanish to read the lines for him appropriately, mm-hmm. and then Walter Houston memorized those readings. And that's what you hear him speaking. He does not speak Spanish, which I think is pretty awesome. Matthew, yeah. this you said this is your first time watching. What did you think of this movie? I didn't care for it visually for a couple of reasons. Um, there's, well, it, there's wasn't, kind it, of wasn't, a, it wasn't directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Just keep that in mind. Well, that's I understand. It's uh, That's just one of my berserk buttons. I have many. Now, I, I didn't like it visually. There's kind of a breaking point for me around 19... 19- 49 or so I find of whether a film is something that I can kind of submerge myself into or whether it's something where I sit there analyzing how I would have done this film differently. The version that I saw of this film was two hours and four minutes, something like that. And I could have easily cut it to an hour 25. And that's, I mean, that's my biggest problem with it. It's not that it's not interesting. It's at a very different, very leisurely pace. And I love the fact that, you know, there's those whole sequences that make it clear that part of the impetus to make this movie was just to show off, hey, I love this part of the country and all this awesomeness about it. And I love the, you know, the decision to have your big star character kind of be the Jack Wagon and Croak. But I think that for me, it was it's one of those movies that I see why it's important. I understand why it's important. I don't think I'd watch it again of my own accord, even if I bumped into mm. it on like Turner movie yeah. classics or something. Yeah. I find if, if I found one kind of like, I'm sure there's many plot holes, but the one that kind of threw me the most was these guys got lost on the way back to the city or back to the village yet. They'd been going back regularly for supplies. No, they were going somewhere else. No, they ended up in the same city, but at I, the end of the movie, they ended yes, up in the same city, but I believe their initial was let's go to this other big city mm. to sell all of our gold. Okay, they were going to go to because that was Durango. Durango. I don't. I don't know. That was the one thing yeah. that was just like, how can you guys be lost? You just need to go to that town, then go to the bigger right, town. Right. And it, that that was the thing that sure. threw me on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this movie even after after the long break. And I think it's because of the long break, and I was able to just forget about it that there were still mm-hmm. some surprises in in the movie. So I, I you know I the a uh, a lot. You know the little Mexican boy at the beginning sells him the ticket. Yeah. Robert Blake. Yeah. Beretta. Yeah. I just the, thought I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yep. 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 Let's give a shout out real quick to our associate producers for this week's Zach on Film. They are David Chang, Justin Laby, Trevor Wright, Kayla Brown, Devin Pelich, Iaz Faruqi, Phil Stoner, Casey Box, Derek Chin, Ejaz he has Faruqi again, Benjamin Dignan, Lars Berg, Taylor Forbes, Bao King, and Adam Mickelson. Thank you, one and all, 
for donating to Major Spoilers and being our associate producers this week for Zach on Film and helping us make great things more often for you. Maybe showing up twice on that list because they double donated. Oh, double donator. Because we double only have you know, we only have the two, the five, or the ten dollar, and yeah. some people want to do twenty dollars. Yeah, just because they're oh, awesome. nice. Yeah. So that's probably why sometimes you hear the uh, the name showing up. Uh, we're seeing the name show up twice. Mm-hmm. You think on it was the second time better? You no, would think, no, but no. you know, I mean, you pronounced it differently. Yeah, I know. <laughs> were there were there any are there any techniques that you would you could pick up from this, Zach? And then um, I wanna, after you kind of share some of those ideas, I want to go into something that I that I've seen recently and something we've talked about before. So no, I, I mean, I actually thought like, what can I learn technically from this film or just from whatever, and um, really just the idea of keeping the Spanish in there natively, no subtitles, mm-hmm. really stuck with me because I think there's this idea. Um, and I'm sure it was prevalent through all of cinema, but I think uh, it's very prevalent now that we have to dumb down our stories for audiences so they're mm-hmm. they're very like homogeneous and everyone mm-hmm. can accept them. But I think producers and executives don't give audiences enough credit. I think audiences now are consuming more media than ever before, mm-hmm. and so audiences are very savvy to plots and ideas and. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So I think audiences are probably smarter now in film than ever before. Yeah. So I think they should be able to take more risks and, on a major scale and be rewarded financially or critically or whatever they're seeking, mainly financially. And uh, I think they certainly took a risk by eliminating an entire American audience essentially by yeah, yeah. not speaking any English for like the last, like yeah. a, in the last 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. I think that was a big risk and just kind of take walked away with that from this. Okay. So one of the things that we kind of talk about, we talked about in class, we talked about here is that um, you study film and you look at film like Treasure Sierra Madre or whatever else that's on, been on the list and you study that and you look and you can see what you can learn from. Uh, when it comes to lighting, we've talked before that one of the things you should do is study the old masters, the old painting masters, not right. not old film, but study no. the old painting masters mm-hmm. and look at how they capture light and how they're able to reproduce light and how they're able to shape a painting. And mm-hmm. if you study the masters, you should be able to take, well, you know, like the lights coming in from the window and it's lighting up this person this way. And then there's bounce light coming off the wall over here and that creates a nice soft fill. And then there you can see how the light glints off of here and that creates these these very specific looks right and you know i heard that whenever i was in school rodrigo probably heard it when he was in school this is something that's been around for forever study the old masters study the old masters study the old masters there are some masters that we don't know how they did their techniques and one of the great masters and some people say one of the greatest painters uh, of all time is vermeer and if you've seen his stuff and this is usually whenever we say hey study the masters, people start showing you these pictures of Vermeer or pictures. They should start showing you the paintings that, that he did where, I mean, it looks realistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, photorealistic in many cases. It's like, how does he capture this light? How does he capture the, capture the subtlety? How does he do all this stuff? And people have had theories. There was a book written, um, let's say like, uh, 15 years ago or so called Vermeer's camera, where they basically said, well, at this time in the 1600s, people would have had a camera obscura, uh, telescopes, mirrors would have been very um, um, popular, and so it would be very easy for them to do a camera obscura, which is a, just a big black box that you step inside with a hole in it, and the light projects through, and they would just paint on the wall, or they would draw on the wall, 
uh, or on their canvas that was projected on there. And that's how they got their pictures, except for Vermeer never did any drawings. Most of uh, the guys that wrote um, uh, Vermeer's uh, camera uh, proved and showed that you could draw and sketch everything and then bring it out of the camera obscure and then paint it normally. But none of Vermeer's paintings ever have any of these drawings underneath. Mm-hmm. And so it's confused people for a long time. There's a new documentary out that I think you really should take a look at okay. because it really shows someone's dedication to understanding, really, truly understanding how something works and how something is done. It's a documentary that's just out. I think it's just out now on video and on iTunes in the last month or so, because I remember hearing about a month or so ago um, in one of my podcasts, maybe on Twitter or something. It's called Tim's Vermeer. And it's about this guy who says, I want to know everything about how Vermeer did this painting, and I'm going to recreate my own painting. But here's the cool thing for me is I listened to part of the story, and it just never passed through my mind until I was really reading the uh, the synopsis for this thing and said, Tim Jennison is an inventor. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't tell you in the synopsis that Tim Jennison is the founder and creator of New Tech. Oh, you know, the guy that does 3D Lightwave, the mm-hmm. guy that does uh, the, 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 Tri-caster. the TriCaster and the Video Toaster, the guy that yeah. spawned a whole video revolution. This is this is his story. And and I've met Tim. I've I've talked with Tim. Oh, really? We've had drinks together. Oh, nice. He's a really fascinating, interesting guy, really super laid back. And so when I found out that it's somebody that I know that I've had some kind of personal mm-hmm. contact with, I was like, oh, now this is really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And because I know you like the uh, the, the TriCaster. I do. And I, I do. know that you've messed around with some some toaster stuff. Sure. I figured you'd get a kick out of that, too. In that tie in the story, I figured Matthew would get a kick out of this because the movie is produced by a Penn and Teller, Penn and Teller, yeah. and it's directed by Teller. And it's narrated basically by Penn Gillette. He talks out. He talks out of he talks out of uh, uh, I was going to say out of like, performance. That's uh, as, he would either be an excellent director or a terrible director. No, he, I mean, if you go to the shows, yeah, he talks sure. to you outside the show. Um, so awesome. and I've, I've met Penn and Teller before. Um and so I think so. I was like, "Oh, this is really interesting. Let me see what he has discovered." So throughout the whole course of this movie, Tim is trying to figure out, and he does this. And this is how long it takes him. It takes him from 2008 until the end of 2013 huh. to study this process, mm-hmm. set up the process, and then complete the process. So he spends years trying to figure it out, and it suddenly occurs to him. That, oh, this is a mirror reflection. And if I use a mirror reflection set up in this such a way, and if I paint in such a way that I can recreate of a mirror. And Tim is not a painter. That's the the other thing that's amazing is he is not a painter. Right. And he sits down with, with Gillette and says, I want to show you how this technique works. And he sets up a little photograph in this mirror and he starts painting and just smudging paint around. And he does it for about you know, an hour or two. And by the time he's done with this in an hour or two, maybe five hours, maybe I forget what it was. But he's got a he has painted a picture. This person who's not an artist has painted a picture that looks exactly like the photograph. You can wow. tell it's a painting, but it's an exact copy of that photograph. And then so he sets forth to try to recreate um, Vermeer's uh, music lesson mm-hmm. and do it in the exact same way that Vermeer would have done it in the 1600s, 1627, I want to say, is when the picture came out. Um, and so he goes about and. Well, he can work and he and his wife can remake the costumes that were used in that picture. He can go out and find an old cello Mm -hmm. that was used in that picture. But in order to get the glass just right, 
he's going to have to learn how to become a, a glazier. Oh, gosh. In order to get this piano just right, he's going to have to learn how to rebuild a harpsichord. He's And he re, and so he spends, you know, you think that, oh, well, it took him all this time to do research and, and testing and all this stuff. No, the bulk of this time is building the set that he's going to paint <laughs> and in the process having to learn how to do metallurgy, how to do, you know, uh, you know, uh, clothing, awesome. how to do all this stuff. And he teaches himself how to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. He even goes to, um, is it Italy? Um, he even goes to Europe to learn how to mix the pigments in the exact same way that Vermeer would have done. So he's using everything that Vermeer would have done. And then he designs, he, he grinds his own mirror in the way that Vermeer would have done this, creates his own camera obscura. Mm-hmm. And then he spends 121 days painting this recreation of Vermeer's music lesson. Wow. And wow. it looks exactly, well, not ex- I mean, it's not exact, exact, because there's a little bit of changes. But if you were to look at it, and by the end of this piece, you're looking at this and you're going, wow, here is someone who has taken a technique and has figured out how that technique is done because old artists would never scribble down what their pigment combinations are. It's sure, not like, sure. you, you know, today, just knew it. today you just go over to Adobe's cool color cooler yeah. and you can pull up 50 million people's different color combinations. No artists kept all that stuff secret. Right. Only they knew that stuff. They didn't share it with any. So none of that stuff's written down. Right. So a lot of this, they didn't get literally they didn't get hits on Twitter. They didn't get any <laughs> extra Twitter <laughs> right. followers for divulging that. Literally well. techniques lost to the ages. And he figured it out. Wow. And he says what this is is, and it's something that I was kind of taught because, again, I learned this because we had one of the early New Tech uh, toaster systems. Mm-hmm. Um, we could call New Tech directly and probably talk to Tim uh, back in the day. Certainly <laughs> probably could have called New Tech and talked to Will Wheaton back in the day because he was actually in Topeka at that time working for <laughs> New Tech. The uh, um, first thing I edited on him was speed edit from New Tech. Yeah, there you go. The, the interesting thing that he said that, I, that it was told to me is that at one point – there were two schools. There were people who did art and they only did art. And there were computer people who did computer stuff. And then there was a time where they kind of flip-flopped when the computer technology came in. And so you had scientists recreating, you know, 3D models and doing animation. And now it's kind of flip-flopped back the other way where the artists are doing the art and the computer people are doing the computer, computer people stuff. But he said in this process, he's realized that you have to be a technologist and you have to be an artist in order to really appreciate and understand what's come before. Mm-hmm. And you really have to study. And he, I think at about day 85, they're doing an interview with him and he's sitting there in front of the painting. It's only like three fourths of the way done. And he's like, if I wasn't doing this for a film, I would have quit already, mm-hmm. but I'm pushing through. <laughs> and he actually makes discoveries that people had not discovered yet in this piece. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the thing that's good about this. We've been doing this for, I don't know how many episodes this has been now. Uh, 157. We're over a year. Yeah, over so a year now. So over 16, a year now, we have been devoting time 80. to studying works mm. and breaking down works and really trying to figure out how they work. And hopefully you're gaining something out of this. Oh, sure. And I think if you watch Tim Tim's Vermeer is what it's called. He actually has a blog. It. He has a blog called timsvermeer.com. I've already downloaded it and watched it. <laughs> I think I might, Zach. I think rawr, you, rawr. I, I'm hoping that it'll give you a little Zach bit of encouragement rawr. to yeah. say, "Hey, you're in the right direction, man. You're not, you know, you're not uh, this isn't for waste or for not." Because here's somebody that that's painted a Vermeer. That's his his take on it, but well, it's done in the same style and the same technique that someone 400 years ago used and is lost to the ages. And and that's that's definitely one 
uh, one way to approach it, right? You can dive in and just pick a film apart. You can recreate it, you know, the, the yeah, psycho yeah. Uh, recreation, yeah. for example. You know, it, who cares what the critical acclaim for it was? Somebody went through and just m separated every mm -hmm. frame of video um, or every frame of film and then, like, put it back together with, like, different yeah. components, you yeah. know? Like, that's that's something there. You know, it's it's something else to watch 60 movies and then kind of close your eyes and say, when I think of every movie that I've seen, what are the things that pop into my head? Like, that is the um, kind of what could become an, a style. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, what did I, like, it, you can, uh, like, I had a... Um, a professor in um, uh, when I was in college, and he would relate everything to Spider Man mm -hmm. and Raging Bull, yeah. right? So, and and those awesome. were like the movies that he would always show us scenes mm -hmm. from. He's like, and it was a uh, screenwriting guy, um, and it's like, and you could tell that that was his style. Right. It's like mm -hmm. the movies that you go to, the scenes that you go to, that you say this was powerful, this was interesting. This was good. This was formally good. Um, this didn't work out. Why didn't it work out? That's kind of how you build a style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're learning, man. Yeah. But I good. I, take if you get it. If you want to see a documentary, and I mean, this isn't like the. This isn't Super Size Me. This isn't uh, you know uh, no, Bowling for Columbine. This isn't the. This is a straight up documentary that has yeah. some funny bits mm -hmm. in it. A um, little bit of cursey words because at one point some stuff falls apart and Tim's just like. <laughs> and it's just like it's very funny but here's an older guy who is like i want to learn something new i want to learn how something is done and i'm going to spend the next five years of my life mm -hmm. doing that you know what we should do we should all put our minds together and try to figure out how they did that one citizen kane shot isn't there that one where they go through the window? Through the window. Yeah, we should make a documentary no. and make a lot of money. You know what we should do? <laughs> we should think figure out. That out. Have they really? What uh, all went wrong with the last episode of season two of Transformers, and we should try and make it into a coherent <laughs> thing. We have to learn how to draw, how to animate. Steven will do the in-betweens. I'll learn how to do all the voices. <laughs> Zach, you get coffee. Okay. Rodrigo, you're in charge of turning this mess into a coherent story. All right, everybody, break. Uh, we'll meet back here in five years. It's it's another it's another approach. You know, if you've seen uh, well, but room f what is it? Room forty eight, room forty three, two forty three. Yeah, Which the, the the uh, the shining, the shining, oh, the shining documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't right? watched that's, that yet. I've got that's it twenty people yeah. scrutinizing the shining, coming to wildly different conclusions. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there just because that kind of that that level of obsessive film analysis mm -hmm. just even if it's kind of like a, 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 even if it just becomes a mirror where you're saying like this person is projecting their own crazy hangups <laughs> yeah, yeah. onto The Shining. Yeah. Like even that is like weirdly interesting and entertaining mm -hmm. because people do that with movies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing that kind of ties back to this. If you watch Zach's YouTube channel. Mm hmm. Um, not the major spoilers uh, video YouTube channel, but Zach's got his own little private channel where he posts his own little stuff. Occasionally he'll put up little things that he's working on, just like little samples of here. I'm trying this out mm -hmm. and you can tell this is the exact same thing. Zach, your latest one's the little bounce and stretch 
thing yeah. with a box. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you were just doing that on your own to mess yeah, around or if you saw somebody else do it or, yeah, or well, whatever. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, a long process of trying to figure out how to animate. But better. see, there you go. It's a long process of me trying how to do something better, and I'm doing it by studying oh, other things and seeing what other people are doing yeah. and then trying it out. No, I, and I, now that you've done it, you're happy with your results, and now hopefully yeah, you will apply that to yeah. a future project. No, I realize I literally have been doing this the last week. There's this guy that posted a animated video about like the rules of animation yeah, from like the, the little Disney box, guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an animated GIF. Uh, yeah, he did. He did a whole video for it, and I've been literally like trying to do like the first scene mm-hmm. because it's all animation that I've never learned mm-hmm. before. Yeah, you should if you want to the books of the. If you want to be a better animator, the book yeah. that you want to get is Disney's Illusion of Life. Yes, that's I what don't it is. think it's I don't think it's in print anymore. Uh, I've got a, I've got. A, I'm sure it's online. It's there. It's a huge book. It is like oh, this thick. It is the, it is one of the best books on animation you yeah. will ever find. But it is probably like twelve thousand pages long. Lord. It is super heavy. You will kill a young child with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will kill a young child with it, or yes. I could. It- it, it has been foreseen. <laughs> but it, it goes through and says, here's all the principles of animation. Yeah. Here's what they all are. Here's samples. And the best part is the book is just littered with art from the, from the nine old men of their style, their mm-hmm. animation, just stuff you would never see anywhere else. It's a great book. Disney's Illusion of Life. I would highly recommend it. I don't think it's in print anymore. I bet if it was in print, we could probably go somewhere and find it. Yeah, you could probably go to like Amazon.com. But, you know, the best way to go to Amazon.com is through the Amazon.com link at MajorSpoilers.com. There's a lot of .coms in this world right now. Mm-hmm. It's like almost seems like a never-ending amount of Yeah, but there's only a few that you need to right. know. The first one you need to go is Major Spoilers, and then click right. on the Amazon one, and then go try to find The Illusion of Life, or is that what we called it? Yeah, yes. it's The Illusion of Life. It's by Ollie Johnson and Frank Thomas, to the Nine Old Men. There are some copies available, oh, look at that. greatly reduced if you're a Prime member. You can get it from uh, Markdown from... Sixty dollars all the way down to thirty four eighty for the hardcover, and you don't want to get it in the hardcover. They do have some other editions of this, um, but uh, yeah, that very first one that pops up is probably the one you want. Although, if you wanted to spend the hundred dollars on the brand new one, uh, I would highly recommend it because there's some gatefolds and fold out stuff that no. you don't want. It. You want to look at it fresh. You don't want to see it after somebody else sure. has gotten their slimy mitts all over it. So if you would buy that through that process I've just described to you, it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to major spoilers to help the site afloat. So see, Zach, you're already doing it. You're studying it. Yeah. You're trying to recreate it. Yeah. You're trying to make yourself better. Yes. So go look at Zach's little uh, Welcome to Night Vale animation. Uh, that one's not very good. But it was done before this one. Yes. So again, if yeah, we're going to yeah, go back yeah, and look yeah. at Zach's process of becoming better. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in the process of like, putting together mainly to make myself feel better about like where I am in my life of like going back to my last project I did for for university yeah, yeah. and putting all my graphics stuff I've done since then just like to make me feel better. Go back and listen to the first episode of Zach on film. No, It'll I don't listen to too. anything we record. Oh, okay. No, I am honestly Wait, is, way to be on scared. the company line there, Zach. No, no, and it's <laughs> it's for the idea of if I listen to it, I will hate it no but then you'll say look how far i've come look how yeah. dumb i was no, back then i know look how brilliant i, I am can now. remember our discussions you're like okay zach now <laughs> what did the color mean in pulp fiction i'm like oh, no. it was a lot of what color and stuff and no no i don't want to say what I feel again bad about it say what again i know i know what we're doing on the road to nortacular we're just, gonna, just play gonna play zach play. on film for oh, zach oh yes yeah there you go all right, Zach, take us home and take us out of here. All right, so we already talked about Amazon. 
uh, com. But make sure to go buy all your stuff there. And um, that's pretty much all I plug at the end of the show. So next week, we will be talking High Noon when we talk Zach on Filming. <laughs>